Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to Fortress of the Mind. And the subject of this podcast is going to be Certain Writers Just Speak to You. Certain Writers Just Speak to You. And what I mean by that is that some writers you just feel that you have a connection with. You feel like they speak to you in a way, that their message resonates with you more than, say, some other writer. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And this subject came up from an email that I received from a guy who works at a company that I did a podcast about last year. A very, very interesting company. And I'll put the link on the post uh, to this podcast so you can find it. But uh, the name of the company is Delta 2 Alpha. Delta2Alpha.com. That's uh, D-E-L-T-A, the number 2, A-L-P-H-A, dot com. And these guys are incredible. You know, these guys are uh, started their own knife manufacturing business. Two guys from Canada who had an interest in knives. And they just decided, without any prior experience, without really any design experience or experience in uh, cutlery or edged weapons, they made the, the very, uh, I think, is probably the best product in the field. Uh, they're... they're um, uh, you know, they're, um, you can find out all, all about their folding knives on their website, so I won't say too much about that, but uh, it's a really interesting story. So that's, uh, you know, that, that's a company that came to my mind again because I received a, an email from someone that works there. So I appreciated that. And um, let's go ahead and read the email first, and then we can talk about some of the details about it. And what he says here is this. All right, let's look at the email. He says, Quintus, I have gone through all your work, and I noticed that you have put a great emphasis and drawn much inspiration from Cicero, including translating two of his books. While you do reference other Stoic thinkers and frequently tell your readers to go beyond Stoic philosophy, you seem to have a favorite with Cicero. Other modern promoters of Stoic philosophy... And he puts in parentheses here, Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss, etc., have focused more on Seneca or Marcus Aurelius. I know this is a very open-ended question, but do you find more value in Cicero because of his consistency? Do you feel that Seneca, while a great ambassador for Stoic philosophy, was more a hypocrite with his vast wealth while preaching the practice of poverty? Do you find Marcus Aurelius to be too serious or somber or dry? Are you ever planning on doing a Quintus Curtius translation of Seneca or Marcus Aurelius's works? All right, well, this is a very good question, and I think the best way to answer this is to go into it uh, in parts. All right, as a first principle, let me say that, yes, I think it's true of anyone, whether modern writers, ancient writers, whatever. Certain authors, certain figures just speak to you. You just feel some sort of intimate kinship, some intimate connection across the ages in some way. And uh, I would be lying if I said that I did not feel more of a kinship with Cicero than any other Roman writer. And I, it's, you know, I've thought about this a lot, and I think that probably the reasons are, are several. I think the first reason, the first reason is that he was a real person. He was a flawed man, and he was a great man at the same time. 
And I think we can all relate to that because if someone is too perfect, if someone is too pristine, it somehow makes him beyond reach to us. It makes him less accessible to us. But Cicero was a real person. He had, at the same time in his character, both good and bad traits. He could be an inspiring speaker, a man of great bravery, a man of action, a man of courage, and at the same time, he could be petty, venal, vicious, short-sighted, narrow-minded, and foolish. And in many ways, I think that summarizes much of the human condition. No one is always perfect all the time. Uh, And I think we're more attracted to a man maybe for his faults as we are by his virtues. Because in these faults, we see the man revealed in all his inconsistencies, in all his complexities, and all of his durable virtue, which lasts through the ages. So Cicero was a real person, and I find that somehow inspiring in a way. Now, this is not to say that Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, any of the other Stoic thinkers were not genuine men. But it just so happens that I resonate, my feelings with Cicero resonate more than with him than with the others. And maybe this is just an accident of chance. Maybe this is just an accident of chance. Because the second thing about Cicero is that this, and I've commented on this before, we know more about him than almost any other figure, both in classical antiquity and really in the modern era. I mean, he, there's a huge body of private letters in his hand that have survived. I mean, we, uh, there's more writings by Cicero than nearly any other, um, than nearly any other Latin author, except maybe the really long ones like uh, Livy, the historian Livy, uh, Plinius Secundus, or Pliny. Uh, we have a huge volume of of Latin texts that have come down to us from Cicero. And these letters, his letters to Atticus, his letters to his friends, reveal him in all of his vanity, all of his glory, all of his incredible eloquence. And I think this helps to humanize the man. And maybe another reason why I feel some sort of kinship with him is because he was also a lawyer. And that's the profession that I've devoted my life to and uh, you can see that when he does things you can see the reason why he does it you can see the the you can get the point of what he's trying to do and if you read his works you know his orations his letters his philosophical works you get a very very complete and full picture of what this man was like in a way that you just don't get with Seneca or with um Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus. It just doesn't really round out the picture with the others. So those are the those are some of the preliminary reasons why I've been somewhat a- attracted to uh, to Cicero. And like I've said in in my writings, you know, in my introductions to his translations that I've done in Stoic Paradoxes and On Duties, uh, Cicero was an eclectic. You know he. I think the best way to describe him is is he was an eclectic with strong Stoic tendencies. He never overtly identified himself as a Stoic because as a lawyer, I think he always was willing to or desirous of hedging his bets. But it's pretty clear that of all the schools of philosophy, Epicureanism, Platonism, Aristotelianism, 
Stoicism. He found Stoic philosophy the one that was most attractive. And I think this is true of almost all of the upper class uh, Romans, the uh, educated Roman elite, the rulers. The Stoic philosophy meshed very well with their existing culture. It just did in a way that some of the other philosophies did not. So those are the, the preliminary reasons. And, you know, I'm not the only one. You know, the, the, Renaissance, uh, human, the Renaissance humanists, when they began to rediscover some of these great works of classical antiquity, they wrote peons of praise for Cicero. I mean, he, he, the influence that this guy exerted is tremendous, is tremendous. So those are the, some of the, the initial reasons. Some of the other reasons why uh, I've found, you know, I was originally led to translating uh, two of his works, say, more than uh, Seneca's works, were simply just practical reasons. For the, the, the first problem with Seneca is that um, most of his work, and I, I, just, just so you know, I have all of Seneca's works, in, in Latin, actually, I have, I have everything, even the obscurest. I have all of his letters, all of his essays, all of his plays, even the obscure work, uh, you know, uh, Natural Questions, Questionis Naturalis, which uh, is a very interesting uh, work if you've never heard of it. It's an attempt to, um, to give a stoic twist on the natural world. Very interesting book. But in, in any case, uh, Seneca wrote a great deal, but the problem is that most of his works are very long. And when you're trying to uh, make a translation and you want something that's going to be practical and digestible for the average reader and something that's going to sell, frankly, you have to try to pick works that are, that are at least are digestible for the average reader. And then hopefully they can use that as a springboard into further study. The problem with Seneca is the problem with Seneca, uh, from a practical perspective, is that his best work, in my opinion, are his letters. But the problem is they're very extensive. You know, they're like four or five volumes, and really the only the only practical way to do that to to um, to come up with a uh, you know to come up with a with a a publication that can be produced, a translation that can be produced within a reasonable period of time, is would be to try to take a like a selected letters. And I think if you're doing that, you're not really getting the integrity of the entire text. I mean, re what someone really would need to do is to translate all of them, and that would just take a very long time. And and who knows? Maybe when I'm 80 years old, I'll uh, I'll, I'll do it, or at some point, I'll do that. But uh, it, it, for practical considerations. Uh, for me, uh, Cicero was was more of a uh, a better choice for a couple of reasons. I first started out with uh, with Stoic paradoxes, and I, you know, what I liked about it was it's almost a totally unknown work. No one no one talks about it. No one's really ever heard of it. And I thought there was room there to make an impact in the field. There was room there. There there were two ways to to produce something significant in a field. Either do something that no one else has done, that's one way, or uh, do something that's uh, do something in a way that's better than anyone else has done it before. I use the first method, I think, with Stoic paradoxes because my translation is the only modern one that's that's out there. 
And I think I use the second method with on duties because I consider my translation to be, for the general reader, uh, the most accessible, readable, accurate, and uh, I think uh, uh, practical translation that is available today in English. But what I like about Stoic Paradox is, is it, it, it distills in six points the main ethical tenets of Stoicism, the main ethical tenets of Stoicism. And Seneca never does that. If you had to ask, in fact, I would challenge anyone, if you had to ask a lot of these guys that write about Stoicism or talk about it, okay, what are the, what are the main pillars? What are the main points of the Stoic creed? What you would get as an answer is a lot of helpless stammering. Well, um, well, uh, you know, uh, help you manage pain and okay, okay, well, you know, that's true, that's fine. But what's good about Stoic Paradox is, is it gives you a list. It gives you an actual specific list of what are the major ethical beliefs, uh, beliefs of Stoicism. It's a very short work. It's simply meant as an appetite wetter. And it's something that you can start out with and get a good grounding and then go on to other things. So it, it, it fills a niche. It fills a purpose in the literature. And for that reason, I felt like it was something that I wanted to do first. And I started out with that. And then I, then I was led to On Duties, which has been uh, a big success. And I, I've been actually just very, very shocked and, and, and happy with the success of On Duties, the, 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 the constant uh, uh, positive feedback I'm getting from it. You know, the sales are very good. And um, that was something that was a labor of love for me. I felt like this book, more than any other that he wrote, distilled his ethical and moral view of the universe. And I think if we can just try to incorporate at least some of those things into our life, I think we'll all be better men. I think we'll all be better men. So so th those are the reasons to answer the question why I was initially attracted to, to Cicero, maybe in uh, preference to some of the others. But again, I, I want to emphasize, I love Seneca. I have nothing against him. Uh, I, I will say that he strikes me as being a little more slithery and a little less genuine than Cicero. If you had to press me about that, I would say that there, to, to me as a personality, uh, Cicero is someone that I could sit down with and, and, and have uh, a cup of wine or a goblet of wine with in those days, I guess it would have been. And I could speak to him in his language about, you know, hey, consul, you know, how are you doing? You know, what are you doing? You know, quid agis? You know, how's, how's life going? How, how are things going? And, and that's someone that I think has that perfect balance of... Because, you know, he was not really a patrician. He was not really an aristocrat. He was a man who came from a modest um, equitus background, a knight background. Uh, Seneca, though, was, was, a, was a, a patrician, which is nothing wrong with that. But there's just something about him that just rings a little bit too... A little too pat, a little too perfect, a little bit too uh, smug. Uh, again, uh, I will say that Seneca is a great man. He's a great writer, and his his books have been uh, very much, very much influential uh, for me. So I'm not criticizing him. I don't want to get a lot of comments saying, "Oh, how can you say that? I can't believe you said this." You know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, you know, it's like that old debate between, you know, the Beatles and Elvis. You know, you've got to pick one. 
<laughs> you've got to you got to pick one at some point. Now Marcus Aure now I I again uh, Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius uh, are again are also great, but translating one of them is really not an option for me because I don't know Greek. Even though Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor, he wrote in Greek, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, actually, it's not. It's not very unusual. I mean, uh, there are some. There were some educated Romans in those days who did like to show off their erudition and show off their mastery of Greek letters, and that was very common. You know, a lot of the upper class Romans had Greek tutors or spent time in Athens studying. Cicero's own son uh, spent time in a uh, a school in Athens, as anyone who has read the opening parts of On Duties knows. So. Aurelius, now I, I've read his book in translation, and it's it's good. I mean, I, the Meditations, it's 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 very good. It's it's a very very good book. It's one of those foundational Stoic texts. But again, uh, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, I, I I put my my heart and soul in my translations, and it, it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do anything with him because I don't know Greek. You know, I, I, you know, the, the languages, I, I, I do know a few languages, but, but uh, Greek is not one of them. So, you know, you have to, you have to, um, you know, stick with the things that you know about. But it's a, it's a great book. And, and even, uh, even in translation, it's, uh, it's, it's wisdom and it's, it's applicability come across. But knowing the original language really enables you to convey it. And, and translate it in such a way that you really feel it. And, you know, I'm working on another project right now, another translation project, which, which is uh, going to be very big. And it, it should be done later in 2017. And uh, I'll be looking forward to getting that out. But it, it, it takes time. These things take, you know, a good year and a half. If you want to do a good job, it takes a daily effort, a daily effort. And there just aren't many people who are willing um there just aren't many people who are willing to do that or frankly who are capable of doing that they just can't they can't do it cannot uh render it in such a way that the english is also just as uh fluid and erudite and um and 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 sparkling as the original so those are my points those are my points and I hope I've answered the question. And as a final comment, you know, you mentioned these two other guys, Ryan Holiday and uh, Tim Ferriss. I don't know anything about these guys. I mean, I'm familiar with Tim Ferriss's work and his four-hour workweek book. Uh, I think pretty much everybody's read that or is familiar with it. But I don't really know his opinions or what his uh, views of Stoicism are, so I can't really comment on that. But... Um, you know, I, 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 I tell everybody, you know, read as much as you can. You know, e even if you find that one writer speaks to you or another one does not speak to you, don't just draw from one well. You should try to draw from several different wells. And even if a writer doesn't speak to you at one point in your life, put him back on the bookshelf, leave him alone, and then maybe come back to him in a year or two. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find something different. I've had that happen a few times. There have been books that I've looked at and I said, I just, I can't stand this. This is just, this is just not, I'm not feeling it. And then after maybe you've had a few life experiences that change your views or change your outlook on life, you have a, um, a very different perspective. And I had that, that, that experience recently with uh, Herman Melville's book, The Confidence Man. 
the confidence man. It's been sitting on my bookshelf or sitting in storage for probably like, you know, 15 years. And just now, or just recently, I revisited it. And it says a lot about human nature. It's a, it's a dark, a very dark story, but it has a lot of truth to it about con men, scammers. And there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to be said there. So I hope that answers the question. And, and I'll say this podcast was brought to you courtesy of Delta2Alpha.com. Delta2Alpha.com, the greatest knife designers, knife manufacturers that I've seen out there. And I recommend anyone who's interested in edged weapons or knives to pay these guys' website a visit and take a look at what they've got. Again, I again I, I can't say enough good things about these guys. Uh, I really admire the fact that I, I've spoken to them. I've actually spoken to these guys personally on several occasions, and I really have a lot of respect how these guys had, you know, professions in totally unrelated fields, and they they still have those jobs, but they do this sort of as a labor of love, and I can relate to that. And in many ways, some of the best work in a field sometimes can come from outsiders. And I made a point of talking about this in one of my previous podcasts, uh, Staying in Your Lane, about how people will try to tell you, oh, you know, you don't know enough about this, you shouldn't do that, or you have no right to talk about this or say this or say that. Don't ever listen to anyone who says that. You know, you if you feel the passion for something, you put your product out there into the marketplace and you let the marketplace decide. And people that try to give you downer, Debbie Downer advice, usually are coming from a perspective of jealousy or envy or stupidity. And you should never listen to people like that. So that's why I really respect the guys at uh, Delta2Alpha.com. So check them out. That will conclude my podcast here tonight. This is Quintus Curtius. Good night.